Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. I know we've still got a couple of weeks, but we can begin to greet each other. And I just saw that last question. I thought, well, we've got to start off and take a vote right now. How often or how quick do you take the, and I know we're just kind of like getting going. She's like, wait a minute, let's enjoy it. And we will, we'll work up to it. We, we, it's great to enjoy this time of year. Um, I was just talking with Maria. She loves it when I pick on her. She had, can I tell her Maria? She just ducked. She told me that she hasn't counted exactly, but she thinks in her house, now these are little trees and big trees, 78 Christmas trees. Yeah. See, it is a problem, Maria. Yeah, a lot of people are supporting you though, so forever that's worth. I think there just, there's got to be, now don't clap and encourage it. Now, this is, it can get out of hand real quick. I think just like there are a lot of anonymouses, there ought to be like a Christmas decoration anonymous. Like at some point, you need help, you need to call in. But here's the question we want to take. How many of you, you love the Christmas season, but it's time to take it down on December the 26th. Let's stop the, let's move on. How many of you are that way? Okay, a handful of us are confidently raising our hands high. How many of you say, let's give it a week or two after Christmas, let's not be rash, but that seems reasonable. Okay, a lot of you are there. And how many of you, if it were up to you, it would be never, it would stay up year round. Maria, these are your friends. Yes, yes, there are a lot of them. You are in good company. Well, it's funny because I love Christmas. I love all of the Christmas. I love the food. I love the gifts. I love most of my family. I love all... I love all the traditions that are associated with it, and, and, and maybe you have like some special traditions that you know, are part of your Christmas, like maybe where you celebrate Christmas or who you celebrate Christmas with. Um, maybe there are certain foods that are like traditional with your family. There's a special family dish. For us, growing up, we would always open presents on the evening of Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Day, we would almost always travel to go see extended family. And as, we've, you know, as I've grown up, Ginger and I, with our kids, We've kind of continued that tradition where on Christmas Day, we'll normally travel somewhere, oftentimes to see extended family, but we'll just kind of travel somewhere. That's kind of been our thing. I don't know what your thing is, but most of us have a tradition maybe for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but I wonder how many of us have a tradition for the day after Christmas. For some people, it might be like exchange those gifts you got, right? Although online shopping's kind of taking the fun out of that a little bit. But maybe for you, it's taking the decorations down. We've talked about some of you are like, no, I'm taking the tree down and I'm taking it down fast. What do you do the day after Christmas? Here's what most of us feel who want to take it down, whether it's a week later or day of. Most of us feel this way after we've enjoyed the whole Christmas season. We just want to get back to normal. It feels safe. It feels familiar. We want our house back. We want the decorations up and we just want to get back to normal. It's just a human desire. It's not a bad thing. It's not, it, when you feel that way, it's, it's fine, but it's a normal. It's not original with us though, is it? In fact, if you go back to the very first Christmas, this was driving what was going on is a lot of people were wanting to get back to normal because it was pretty chaotic in that first Christmas. In fact, one of the things the Bible tells us that there was a man named Caesar Augustus who had demanded a census. He was kind of updating the tax base. And, and we see from the very get-go in uh, Luke, 
in Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 2, the very beginning of that verse says that Caesar Augustus, in those days, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And here's what that meant. Here's why it was so disruptive and why it was chaotic and why everyone would want to get back to normal. Because that meant that everybody had to go back to their birthplace and register. And the reason that was so chaotic was because if you had to go back to your birthplace and register, in that day, traveling was very disruptive. It was both expensive and dangerous. And so because everyone is having to go back and register, the chaos that created that first Christmas was not a Hallmark movie. It was chaotic. And everyone having to endure the danger and the expense. As they registered, they wanted to quickly get back home. And like many of us, they just wanted things to get back to normal. But unbeknownst to most of them, things would never be normal again. Because a child was born. And that child, the birth of that child would have global implications for generations. That child, when that child was born, everyone who interacted with that child during that child's life would become a footnote in the history of that child's story. Whether you were a governor or a king or even a Caesar, we know of you because of this child. Something happened that first Christmas and 2,000 years later we still celebrate this as our biggest holiday each year and it all started in John 1:14 when the word became flesh and dwelled among us that just like out of like a page out of Greek mythology the divine became flesh and dwelt among us Unbeknownst to everyone on that first Christmas, a king had secretly entered the world. In the midst of the chaos of this census, when everyone is traveling, there was a king over there that had just been born. Now, because you live in America, you're very familiar with the Christmas holiday. We all know we got the Christmas tree. We've got, we've got lots of trees around here. We've got the nativity scene. Many of us see that symbol. We know what Christmas is about. It's a very festive holiday. People are naturally more generous for the most part this time of year. And, and we enjoy this celebration. It's sort of a national holiday. But if you're new to the faith, if you're checking Christmas out, if you're checking church out, if you're checking Christianity out and you're wondering, what is the excitement really? What's the origin story of this holiday? Just know this. It is a miraculous day because of this baby who was secretly born in a chaotic time. Because see, this baby wasn't just a religious figure. This baby wasn't just a good person. This baby wasn't just a good teacher. This baby wasn't even just a savior. This baby was a king. That is going to change everything historically. You see, it is easy to miss it. When it comes to our faith, many of us miss this. When it comes to Christianity, many of us miss this. The lordship and kingship of Jesus is often overlooked. And instead, we reduce Jesus, especially this time of year, the baby in the manger, seems innocent, seems non-threatening. And we reduce the baby in the manger to just a forgiver, to just a friend, 
to just a comforter. And Jesus, I believe, is all those things. The Bible teaches that he is all those things. But our temptation is just to add Jesus as a nice addition to our life. Instead of asking, what does he demand of my life? Because he's the ruler, and he's a king, and he's a lord. And I don't know about you, but I have found, a lot, especially in the Bible Belt in which we live, there is a temptation like, like sparkling water is really water that can have a little flavor of something, lemonade or cherry or some kind of flavor added to it to kind of make it a little more enjoyable. And sometimes we treat our faith that way. We have a Christian-flavored life that allows us to believe in a king or in a, in a baby born, but in order for him to be my king, well, that means something very different. And this is what gets overlooked with the original Christmas story. But let me just tell you, Mary and Joseph, they did not overlook this. I want you to see when the angel talked to Mary, what the angel said of this baby, because this is important to identify who he really is. Look what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 30. But the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son. And if it ended there, we just enjoyed the innocent baby in a manger. But it doesn't end there. And you are to call him, say that last word with me, Jesus. In the Hebrew, Jesus is Yeshua, ruler, leader, king. To go on in verse 32, the angel says, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. In other words, there is a royal title to this baby, the son of a supreme king. And if there was any doubt that this baby was royalty, look at the next part of the verse, verse 33. The Lord will give him the, say that word with me, throne. Babies don't sit on thrones. Kings sit on thrones. And watch this. Not only will the Lord give him the throne, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. David was the most well-known king of the nation of Israel. And suddenly, Mary has to be thinking, wait a minute, he's going to be that kind of a king? He's going to be the king of our nation? Kind of like we're going to vote next year, 2024. We're going to go, oh, we're going to vote somebody. And they're going to be in office four years, eight years, whatever the case may be. It's pretty powerful. Mary's got to be thinking that way. Oh, there's going to be, my baby's going to get to sit on the throne of the nation. And then it's the next part of that verse. She goes on to say, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. And what's that next word? forever she's like wait a minute that doesn't make any sense no one lives forever and Mary then says gets to hear one last thing about her son who will be more than just a baby but the angel said something next that would unfold throughout the rest of the New Testament and is unfolding in our time today the angel finished the conversation by saying these next five words would you say them out loud with me his kingdom will never end say that again with me say it out loud his kingdom will never end. She hears that and she goes, whoa, this is not your normal baby. And in the chaos of everything that was going on around her in that first Christmas, she hears that she's going to have a child who's going to be a king and that his kingdom will never end. This is so important that we've got to remember this. I've got to remember this. Jesus didn't just come to introduce Christianity. He came to introduce a new kingdom.
that would never end. Here's the really good news. Whatever you're doing in your career, whatever's going on in your family, it is when it becomes part of his kingdom that it never ends, that we join the eternal story. This is where purpose is found. There is a kingdom in which he is introducing at that first Christmas, and he is inviting you and I to be part of his kingdom that never ends. Here's the good news. Jesus was king. Jesus is still king, and Jesus will always be the king. He is more than just a baby born in a manger. And if you claim to be a Christian, if you're choosing to follow him, you have a choice to have a Christian-flavored life, or you submit and ask yourself this question, is he my king? Is he my king? Or do I just believe there was a baby born in a manger who did some really good things, admirable, and should sprinkle some flavor on my life? Here, he was born a king who introduced a kingdom that would last forever. But this baby, oh, this baby would grow up to become a savior and to become the king and then to go to the throne room of God. And the reality is, this baby, we have to ask, is this my king? And here's what's unique about this king. This king doesn't demand that his followers give their life for him. Instead, he gave his life for us. And this king invites This king allows us to choose. This king rarely intrudes. We get to choose. We get to decide, do we follow this king? And I was just talking to a mom this morning that said, man, I would love to push my kids and make that decision for them. And I'm that way too as a parent, as a grandparent. But this king invites. This king allows every individual to choose. And you get to choose. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? You say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Maybe you're here, you're searching, you're just wondering, you have questions. Maybe you dabble in Christianity, you come occasionally, and we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you come regularly because your parents did or your spouse wants you to or or you just kind of gotten in a a habit of it. What's the big deal if Jesus is my king? As long as I believe that he's good, as long as I believe he's real, as long as I believe that he can forgive my sins, what's the big deal if he's really my king or not? If I'm fully submitting to him or not? What happens when we don't submit to Jesus as king? What's the big deal? I've got a life to live. I've got dreams. I've got plans. I've got hopes. Why can't I just do that? What happens if I don't submit to Jesus as king? And that's what we're going to kind of navigate through this story over the next couple of weeks. But I can just tell you this. There's a life that's preserved for people who are willing to submit to him as king and to find a freedom and a purpose that only happens when your hands are fully opened and you are fully surrendered to him. Otherwise, what happens is you can reduce your faith to a religion. And then your faith becomes like every other religion. You have a set of rules, you have a set of rituals, and we have God in a box and kind of serves our purposes where I can judge myself and I can judge others. Or when we reduce our faith 
and we don't submit to Jesus as king, then all of a sudden we're just going along the flow with everyone else and we have this cultural identity Christian, especially here in the Bible Belt where there are so many churches, where there are so many people who believe that Jesus is good, who believe that Jesus is even a savior, and all of a sudden we're just kind of going along with the flow. Our lives aren't necessarily influenced, we're not necessarily sacrificing, but we're all in. You know, we would say, yeah, I'm in. You can check that box on every application. It's a cultural identity without any sacrifice. And what we forget sometimes is we will miss out on the life we've been designed for if we don't recognize he's a king. And back then, 2,000 years ago, without anybody knowing it, everybody was distracted by the chaos. Everyone was distracted by the diversion of the census. And they didn't know that a king had secretly entered the world. And everything would be forever changed. You see, some things have remained the same in how people respond to this king. I don't know if you know this, but nearly 80% of Americans believe that Jesus is a real historical person and even believe that he was born in a manger on that first Christmas. And they think it's a beautiful story and I'll put my nativity scene out because it's a great part of our national history. It's a great part of our spiritual history, 80%. But the most important question that you will wrestle with in your life is not whether or not you believe in Jesus, but is Jesus your king? Because Jesus, and here's the bottom line, he didn't come to establish something to believe in. He came as a king to follow. And that is a very different thing. That raises the bar in how I respond to this Jesus. Here's what you can know. When you go through Kroger this week or Costco, when you go through HEB and you go through school, you go to work, most of the people you will bump into will believe in Jesus. But how many follow Jesus as king? And this is the distinction of the original Christmas story. So the most important question is, is Jesus my king? And you may go, well, how do I know that? How do I know if Jesus is my king? I think he's my king. I'm good with Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I like the Bible. I, you know, it's, it's, it's influential in my life. How do I know if Jesus is my king? And that's what we're going to talk about right now because the reality is if you look at the original Christmas story, you will see two different perspectives, one from Herod, and then we're going to compare it with the Magi. In Herod, we see someone who acknowledges Jesus, believes in Jesus. And in the Magi, we'll see someone who acknowledges and believes in Jesus, but then takes it a step further and surrenders to Jesus. They don't settle for belief. They go all the way to worship. They go all the way to full sacrificial. I'm reorienting my life around this king. How do you know? Well, let's look, let's compare, and let's contrast. Back to the original Christmas story. How do you know if Jesus is your king? Well, let's look at it. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we see this great Christmas story. It begins with, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of, say these next two words with me, King Herod. Yeah, I want to make sure you're still with me. Make sure you're still awake. I know you've had your coffee. You're kind of settled in. But let's say it again. Say it with those two words with me. King This man, 
is Herod the Great. He's the one who rebuilt the temple. Think about it. He was a military strategist. He was a general. He was also a great architect. And the scripture says it was during his time. You know what that means? He saw this as his legacy. It was about him. This was all as he saw it. The kingdom was for him. And this was his moment. This was more than just his 15 minutes of fame. He was a world-renowned leader of that time. And he saw this as his time. It was very important to him to preserve his legacy. And he would go further to say it was literally his kingdom that he was pursuing. Now, let's be honest. Maybe in not as a magnificent way as Herod the Great, but all of us have that in the kingdom that we are pursuing, in the plans that we are pursuing, in the dreams that we have, in the hopes that we have, in the control we tried to keep, and all the things around our life that feels chaotic and we go, no, 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 I wanted my life to look this way. I wanted my kingdom to look like this. We all can align with King Herod, but then I wanna watch another group of people. In that same verse it says, but the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, who are the Magi? These are these court advisors, probably from Persia or, or Arabia. They, they, they are, are not kings. That became a legend two or 300 years later. We don't know their names. We don't know how many of them there were. They probably weren't actually even following a star. They just saw a new star, indicated it, triggered to them. What they would do is they would study uh, both ancient text and they would study the movement of the planets and the stars. And when they saw a new star, they went to Jerusalem. They were looking for this Jewish king and when they got to Jerusalem nobody was talking about the king you know what they were doing they were traveling trying to get back home because they wanted to get back to normal everything was chaotic and then no one was talking about the king so you know what they did they asked in the next part of that verse they just went probably to the temple and they begin to ask around about this Jewish king and here's what they ask where is the one who has been born king of the Jews, not just a baby in the manger. We believe there is a king amongst us, and we want to know where is he. They recognize what we often miss today, especially when it comes to the Christmas story, that Jesus wasn't just a baby in a manger. He was going to be a king on the throne. And they go on to say, here's what happened to us. Here's our story, the Magi said. We saw his star. We saw this new star probably, and when it rose... We have come to take a selfie with him. No, we have come to leverage his platform. No, we have come to just go through rituals. No, we've come to figure out what rules he wants us to focus on. No, we have come to worship him. We left everything we knew. We're going to a new place and we are sacrificing to get there and it isn't about us. We just wanna worship him. He is a king. We recognize who he is. We recognize the importance of how he will change history and that we are supposed to surrender and submit to him. And oh, we see a difference between their perspective and Herod's. Herod was about my kingdom and the Magi were all about God's kingdom over their own plans, over their own preferences, over their own dreams and desires. They were convinced and they went to the logical place, Jerusalem. And when they got there, word spread fast that there was another king that some people were here looking for. And guess who that got back to? And guess who was good and bothered? The king, Herod. He's like, whoa, 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 there's another king? Somebody's saying there's another king. I feel very threatened by that. Look at what happens in verse three. When King Herod 
heard this news, he was disturbed. He wasn't pleasant. He wasn't grateful. He wasn't curious. He's disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Because when the king's upset, the people are upset. And he is upset. If it would have been just a rabbi, if it would have been just a teacher, if it would have just been a good person, if it would have been a political figure, if it would have been a prophet, none of those things would have been a problem. But to call him a king, now we have a problem. Because remember, Herod is both ruthless and brilliant, and he is in a reactive kind of king. He immediately moves in a proactive and strategic way to be ruthless. And when he hears that somebody else claims there is a king amongst them, you know what he does? He puts a plan into place, and he immediately says, I will not have an insurrection. I'm not going to have civil unrest. There is not going to be a regime change. I am not going to sit idly by wondering what's going to happen. He immediately puts a plan into place. And so then we see two contrasting responses to the birth of this king. We have Herod, who at all costs wants to avoid disruption. You ever feel that way? I know I'm that way. I want life to go a certain way, and when it doesn't, I am bothered as if I'm the king. And sometimes I have to be reminded, oh, that's right, you're the king. And I didn't see this coming, but you're ahead of me. You will walk with me through this. You knew this was coming. And I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to try to avoid it because it's hard or not preferred. But Herod, he did. Whereas the Magi, oh, they didn't hold anything back. With open hands, they went forward to a new place to worship the king. Well, Herod is upset. Now think about Herod. Maybe you want to have a little empathy for him, not much. He's been on the king for 40 plus years at this point. He's used to being in control. He's used to being the boss. He's used to having everyone respond to his voice. And now what he does next show something about who Jesus is. Because in verse four, I want you to see this. When he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them something. And he's not asking, hey, what can we learn? What can we do differently? No, watch this. He asked where the Messiah was to be born. Did you catch that? Herod believed this new baby was the Messiah. And he went to the religious experts and said, where is the Messiah to be born? You notice he's not using the term king, he's using the term Messiah. This is an important term because Messiah was a word that was God's final king. In fact, in... um, Uh, The the term Messiah in the Hebrew is talking about God's anointed one. Not anointed by a king, not anointed by a prophet or a priest, but anointed by the creator of all things, God himself. Anointed and appointed, and immediately Herod goes, oh, whoa, where's the Messiah? And he's up to no good, right? Herod is up to no good. He wants to eliminate what he sees as the threat. Messiah. See, Herod knew what I often forget, but it's true of me, it's true of you. When there are two kings, people choose. And right now, you have to choose between Jesus as king 
And most of us want to put ourselves on that throne. And we must choose. Herod knew that people would would have to choose if there were two kings. And so we see a contrast because Herod, oh, he acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. However, the Magi, they not only believe and acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, they surrendered to Jesus as the Messiah. You see, Jesus, he did not come to establish something to believe in, but as a king to follow. And this is where Christmas gets very real for all of us. Is it going to be just another legend with a great Christmas party, with a great family gathering, where we remember something that really is inspiring? Or will we choose to have Jesus as our king? Where there is a daily submission to this king. It's C.S. Lewis at the end of his book, The Case for Christianity, where he addresses the fact that there will be a day, though this king invites us now, where we will no longer be allowed to choose. He says, it will be too late then to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen whether we realized it before or not. Instead, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose. For God is holding back to give us this chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. And what Herod reminds us of, it is not enough to simply believe or acknowledge who Jesus is. We must surrender and make him the Lord, the king, the boss of our life. You see, Herod shows us another way. It's the common way. And the Magi show us the different way that make Jesus king. Herod, if you see that, he says in verse four, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where was the Messiah to be born? And the people responded, oh, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem. For this is what the prophet has written. We have texts that that predict his birth there. And as a result, Herod believing them, he then called Magi to do a little more research, and he secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He wanted to know exactly where this Messiah was born and how old he would now be based on the age of the star. Why? Because there was one thing certain in Herod's mind. He would never bow his knee to another king. So he must eliminate the other king. And that's what he set out to do. And so in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem with the intent of eliminating the threat. See, the question is never do you believe. That's a starting point perhaps. But salvation is found when Jesus becomes your king. When we surrender to him as Lord and ruler and judge of our life. When he says he brought a sacred love, have we surrendered so much to him that we will love anyone and everyone like he did? Are we willing to ups, uh, upset our own life and, and embrace the disruptions that he brings along the way because my story isn't about me anyway, it's about him, it's about this 
king, a story that began before me. I'm not the star of my show. I'm just a bit actor for a short period of time on this earth. He, it's all about him. And when I'm gone, I want to have participated in the eternal story whose kingdom lasts forever. It is about Jesus who was and is and forevermore will be the king. And the question becomes, is Jesus your king? Is he your king? Or do you just believe in him and you have a Christianity-flavored life? This is what the first Christmas reminds us. No matter the distractions that we all have, we can miss the main event. We can miss the center of the story, Jesus himself. The invitation is to you. What's the big deal if I don't? We'll miss out on something you've been created for. Something that lasts beyond your life. And something that is far greater than you could ever imagine. So let me be real personal and ask some questions. One, is Jesus your king? And if you're not sure, maybe you think he is or maybe you would like him to be, let me give you some follow-up questions. Are you using your life to build your kingdom or God's? Are you building your kingdom or God's? And one way you can know is when was the last time you gave up something for his kingdom, for his glory, and not your own? It should cost us something if the, our life is about his kingdom. It should make us uncomfortable at times if our life is about his kingdom and not about me, not about us. Whose kingdom are you pursuing each and every day? Number two, is there anything I'm holding back from God? This would be a great prayer. Are you in community with other Christians? Are you, are you at a place where you're serving other Christians? Are you using your time for others? Are you using your money for others? What are you holding back when it comes to your generosity, with your kindness, with your love, with the way that you forgive, with the way that you uh, embrace others who, who, whose, whose lifestyle you don't like or approve of? How are you loving others? What are you holding back? This is the question. I think we can make it a prayer God, is there anything I'm holding back from you? And you know what he'll do? He'll answer that prayer. Then number three, if Jesus is my king, then we have to ask, am I acknowledging Jesus or am I surrendered to Jesus? And you're like me, best case scenario, I can surrender today. And tomorrow morning, just like Paul said, I will get up and I will have to surrender tomorrow. I die daily, Paul said. Because every day I try to, get, I try to crawl back on the throne and make it about me. And the original Christmas story is all about a baby who was really a king. And we keep wanting to reduce him to the baby. And ignore He's our king. He's our king. I love what Timothy Keller says. If Christmas is just a nice legend, then in one sense, you are on your own. You can only have your sins forgiven in the ability that you have to forgive them. And you only have purpose in the ability that lasts your lifetime. But if Jesus is king then you can be saved by grace. And if Jesus is king, you can have purpose beyond your lifetime. This 
changes everything. 2,000 years ago, in a chaotic world, a king was secretly entering the world. And may we not, 2,000 years later, be so busy in our chaotic world that we make it a secret again. But we embrace the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the question we must continue to ask. Is Jesus my king? This is the foundation of our faith. And that is where we will start this series. Jesus didn't come just to introduce something to believe in, but a king to follow. And the question is, is he your king? Would you stand with me? I want to close us in prayer together. But first, I just invite you to stand with me. God, we thank you so much that as we are in this Advent season, as we are in this place of being reminded all around us of this Christmas season, it is easy as the schedules get full, as someone is missing this year at the table, where there are all the family dynamics that only occur in the holiday season, it would be easy once again to miss that a king secretly entered the world 2,000 years ago. And our purpose is found when he becomes our king. So God, I pray that we would pursue the hope, joy, and peace that only comes from this king. May we choose him today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.